And I know that makes it scary for businesses to purchase software, but software development is scary. And yeah, it, yeah. It, is, it is full of unknowns and there is ranges and risks and trade-offs and all manner of different tools and things that you can do to get things in on budget mm. on time. But it's, it's terrifying and we're here to make it less terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Offscript by Hey Radio, a podcast for the tech community. I'm James and I run an agency called Parallax. I'm Josh. I run a consultancy called Stack. And today we're going to be talking about software estimation. So James, um, software estimation is always a, a tricky subject. Um, it's always tricky to get reliability and, and to try and um, to try and get it right. So um, what are your kind of tips? What are your kind of main ways of working around estimation uh, at Parallax? I think the first step is to do user story mapping and actually sit with the customer, ideally in real life, and put put it out onto a whiteboard, get all the features down. Yeah. So from start to finish, so you have login, register on the left, all the way through to whatever the end scenario is for the application, buying the thing, yeah. Um, connecting the two dots in the marketplace, whatever it is. Mm. And then you build the features sort of down from there like yeah. and they get more and more complex as you go down um so the ideal way to build an app and estimate it, i think is to at least get like a first run across the top which is all a simple version of each one yeah and the best place to start isn't the login registration because you've already written one of those <laughs> yeah. uh, the best place to start is whatever makes this product unique or whatever the tricky technical part is. Yeah. Because if you start there, then you'd start de-risking it immediately. Yeah. You don't um, want to be finding that out in the 11th hour, do you? That's it. So sprint one is hard bit. <laughs> yeah. Hard parts first, really. I think that's the best way to do it. So do you, so what I'm hearing there is you basically look at all the, the epics, uh, essentially, and you look at how, how, how you'd probably schedule that from a priority, from a risk point of view, more than just the end-to-end -end user journey. Yeah, that's it. Um, a lot of customers will come to you and they'll want an idea of cost before you know, have got an idea of what they want, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a classic problem. Um, so there needs to be some transfer of knowledge and some scoping, research, planning, all the rest of it. It's very easy to put a finger in the air and put a Gantt chart together, which is looks really nice and the client's happy because it meets their deadline, yeah. but it's totally and utterly wrong <laughs> because it doesn't take into account any human factors, any technical challenges, third parties, there could be problems getting sign off for budget for other bits, components that you'll need. Mm. Um, so the really best way to de-risk it is to have a few sprints of just trying stuff. Yeah. Let's just make a little bit of it and see how it fits together. As soon as you learn a little bit more about it, you can then reason more logically about your the ranges that you give to the other epics. Mm. Um, you really just, it's that kind of uncertainty thing. Right yeah. in the beginning, you know nothing. So the range could be 10K to a million pounds. Yeah. Like <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. And as you, as you start fleshing it out and building little bits, researching, poking third-party APIs to see how they react and how they work, what the limits are. You then really start to unpick, right, I got a good feel for the shape of this now mm. where we could hand this to a dev team and 
they could run with it and it wouldn't be a million miles off that. Yeah. That is the most important thing. Um, when you're building something simple, like a website or something you've done before, you can just use the numbers from the previous project, obviously. Yeah. And that'll give you a pretty good estimation of, of, of effort. So I, I know you've spoke to me in the past about evidence-based scheduling. Yes. Like if, if one developer estimates something as one day of work yeah. you know to multiply them by three yeah uh, and another dev by 1.5 but this does it sort of automatically doesn't it yeah yeah i mean you, t- you touched on a few good points there so the first thing was um you know demystifying the estimation process with with the client or, or with whoever you're working with um you know bring them into it it's, it shouldn't be a black box where you know they, they give you in the way you just said a, a figure and you come out with you know the amount of work or, or vice versa yeah um but the second thing is is also the predictability of that squad velocity or team velocity, whatever you call your teams. Um, and, and that helps, you know, over time, as you said, with, with previous um, similar projects that have been delivered, you can get a good understanding of whether that's actually a reliable estimate or not. Yeah, absolutely. If you're doing the same kind of project each time, maybe there's code reuse as well. Yeah. But for us, it's we're always doing new things. So this is quite difficult in a pitch situation Mm. where there might be three agencies or three companies involved in, in quoting for a project. Mm. They all have no idea. We all know secretly each of us has no idea. (laughs) We, what we, what we're actually doing is budget setting. Yeah. We're not, some agencies will go, what is the minimum amount of time this could be completed in? Mm. Which is fine if you're doing a small bit of work as a foot in the door if you have if you have lots of complex features and you estimate them all as best case we, you know that not all of those are going to go mm. absolutely perfectly it also sets an interesting precedent with with that particular client especially if it's the start of the relationship you don't want to under egg um, the amount of effort that you're actually taking to implement something at a high level of quality that's it there is there is what is the minimum amount of time you can do something in? What is the absolute best case? Yeah, simple implementation. But a lot of clients don't want that. No, basic bare bones implementation. They want the oh that looks nice, mm, nice animations, this and that. Not yeah. necessarily animations are the complex part, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. and nice for people product. to feel like it's a nice polished thing. Yeah, and that is a different budget. And then you can go complete. Oh, I want all the nice polished Airbnb app has. Yeah. And they have a team of hundreds of engineers. <laughs> and that's probably about 10 years old. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's been through a hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's setting expectations. It's it's trying to eke, not eke out the budget, but it's, they don't want to pay over the over the odds for something but they don't you don't want to pay the absolute bare minimum it's like things you buy for yourself for your house you get things you could you could go to ikea and get the cheap cheap stuff if you wanted yeah. and that's absolutely fine but yeah there's a mid-range as well yeah. but you might want a nice oak piece of furniture and that's different <laughs> yeah but you probably wouldn't go and get an oak piece of furniture bespoke made for your spare room <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a really good analogy i think um it's it's always a bit of a, a, a kind of keeping the cards close to your chest exercise. You know, you, you want to, you need the budget to be able to deliver the high quality thing a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and equally, it's really important to bring the client, you know, if you've won the client into the estimation process, because they can understand what that money actually translates to. They can see the, you know, the man behind the curtain. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, trying to get them to understand the development process and agree what what a feature is as as we start developing it and understand that changing it is also expensive yeah is important also deadlines pay, play a big impact in cost because you can't just add people to a project to make it go faster no in fact it often has the opposite effect yeah if you're working on a single code base on on a particular feature two or three people's probably your optimum mm. number as you add more it starts to get worse uh, and you have to actually start then having separate areas of the code base um, and then the comms overhead between everyone gets greater and everything slows down yeah uh, it, and that's where you know we, we've talked about it a little bit in the past but things like your the way that you structure your projects whether it's a microservice a monolith the way that the devs communicate with each other all of that stuff plays into um, making those estimates fatter or smaller <laughs> yeah absolutely um, I think most large mistakes in in projects are probably either driven at from a management level or a, from a customer level. Mm. It's it's non-technical people making decisions that greatly impact the technical team yeah. um, without necessarily understanding the impact that that has. Mm. So might not be enough pushback. It's important to make sure that you devs feel they can they can push back on things. Um, wrong personnel, putting the wrong people on the project can have an impact. Um, rubbish tools, if you're not buying the best tools for your, mm. for your team, like if you're not forking out the money for new relics, they can do application performance monitoring, which on the other week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think from a, from a sort of project manager point of view you need to be sort of removing the roadblocks getting people unstuck and letting the devs the technical people make the technical choices yeah um, and so they can get on with it and hit hit the f budgets that you've come up with hopefully together um because they're the ones that are going to make it come in on time on budget and make yeah. it work well um putting a Gantt chart together and hoping everyone magically hits it somehow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without any buy-in is, is very tricky. So yeah, it's, they're going to have to and, and make, make trade-off decisions as well. Mm. Um, so there might be a trade-off decision you can make where you decide not to optimize this database query now and you hit the, you hit the budget, you hit the time, mm. you get the feature delivered and you can go back to it and sort it later. Um, and, and that's also, you know, in, in an area where you're you're launching something, it's that that's a, a less client-facing thing. You know, they may notice it's a little bit slow, but they won't notice that it's unfinished as such. Not that you'd not that you'd not communicate it that way, but yeah, I think it's important to make it clear what trade-off decisions and technical debt there is, mm. um, so that so that you can approach it in the correct way. And do you, do you catalogue? So, you know, as, uh, say you have a fixed deadline or say, you know, there's a, there's a point always in every project where you have to compromise something. Do you catalogue that so you can communicate with the client so you can clean up after? How do you catalogue that? Not necessarily tech debt, but how do you catalogue, you know, the compromises? That goes into the retros, the retrospectives, which are important in any yeah. project. Um, and you you write down what you would do again and what you would avoid doing mm. and what, yeah what you keep doing basically um yeah i think it's quite important to get customers involved um as much as possible mm. um, but not so much that it, it starts 
slowing you down. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I find that deadlines can be impacted because cause the reason customers have outsourced something is because they don't have enough time. Mm. So often they won't have enough time to review the thing that you're doing either. So mm. that can be tricky. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, some customers are great and they're really hands-on. And then if they've got their own internal deadlines and problems and day jobs yeah. and they don't, the reason they've given this project to you is that they don't want to worry about it anymore. But actually, <laughs> you but need sign-off points, and they need to look at it. Um, so yeah. it's tricky. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the the point you made about um, about non technical people making technical decisions. And as you said, one of the main reasons for outsourcing is is time or skill sets or or both or money or I mean, there's lots of different reasons that you'd outsource something that way. But yeah, I think the that's why a lot of these different um products that appeal not necessarily to the those that are really consuming it they appeal to the people that might buy it from that kind of third party position yeah yeah um you know there's been many times where someone's found a nice sales page and they've gone this will fix all our problems you have to use this and actually like mm, not not quite yes yeah, there's n- there's never any magic bullets in no. this industry no. <laughs> you get very excited about new tech but it's this why you need to try these hard parts first you need to do the try the product try the thing in a very basic way even and just try not get too blinded by the fancy marketing pages yeah just try it is it good (laughs) is it magic oh it feels a little bit less magic today than it did yesterday (laughs) now i've actually started using it i think that's that's the thing as well so i imagine parallax's tool chain has changed over time you know the tools that you use the the you know not just developer tools but the tools that you use as a company they change don't they yeah so, yeah, yeah, and you change. You, you have um, risks or problems that come up again and again, and yeah. you try and mitigate against those. So it's, it's often good to keep a list of things that go wrong and look at them and figure out if you think they're going to go wrong in this project, yeah. and put some or put some buffer time in for those things. So if it's an app, you should know that the Apple App Store takes a little bit longer these days, yeah. and there's all the new privacy stuff, and yeah. that might knock out a few days. So that all needs to be padded into the schedules and all the, the data is in your team. They know, they know all this, mm. but it's surfacing it. So it's getting them to think about what went wrong, writing it down and then looking at that list again, when you start a new project going, mm. right, how can I either mitigate or pad the project to work around these? If you know that there's going to be a problem, mm. factor it in. So with yeah totally so with with stuff that you mentioned like login and registration don't start with that yeah have you have you because when uh, when we were building a lot of similar kind of websites and apps we tried to engineize the login and registration stuff so we'd only write it once you know different views over the top but all the logic's the same forgotten password yeah do you try and reuse those sorts of common things much yeah that's pretty much out the box with Laravel um they've Register flow probably needs the most customization because that's kind of people that get people hopped into the product. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty important for the funnel, but the actual tech that powers it mm. is by and large the same. You Make got, yeah, an entry got, into the user's table and some others. and Password generation, confirmation. Decrypt is all built in and the emails go out. And yeah, it's it's all 
bog standard stuff you don't want to be rewriting that every time and from a security point of view as we've mentioned previously but also just from a efficiency point of view you know you, you and also what's good if you do engineize that or whatever you want whatever term you use re, make it reusable um that's a really reliable estimate then you know you know that registration implementation takes so long yeah and you also know all the the pitfalls with it yeah. so you know that the base template doesn't look nice in outlook 2010 yeah and that takes half a day yeah. so put the half day in um and yeah just pad everything out with the previous risks that you've seen um and uh, if you think the customer's going to throw in new design requirements new curveballs mm. mid-project that needs to be factored in um yeah it's 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 not an exact science i wouldn't say mm. and it is very particular to each company but you, you do have all this information in your head somewhere or within <laughs> yeah. the team um, so I find that the best thing to do is get a spreadsheet going and just write as many things you can think of that would need to be done or go wrong or need to be thought about yeah. and then I put a range in days never do like nothing takes less than a quarter of a day really <laughs> no. when you when it actually comes down to it you ask a dev how long is this going to take 10 minutes does it really take 10 minutes maybe writing the actual code yeah but getting the ticket open getting the context looking at the right bit everything. context switching testing it deploying it getting someone to look at it on QA mm. it's nothing takes 10 minutes no my, my point is it's not that ticket's not done unless it's in production yeah uh, and that's that's the basis it's, for it's time. the whole journey it's like it's like farm to table <laughs> it's like what it's not just one segment of the process you need to think about it's yeah. the whole everything and that's a that's an education piece for for developers as well so, you know yes it to code that bit will take 10 minutes, but everything around it, the peripheral tasks, the, the things that take the time, you know, the, the client saying, oh, actually, can you just tweak this? Can you change that? You know, it, yeah. it is never 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And the tweaking and the changing makes things more brittle as well sometimes. And mm. you you might, yeah, you might need to throw out the way that you thought about a component yeah. because it's changed so much from the original or you've, you dive back into a project and you look at some of the variable names and you're like, that probably made sense at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's just so bent out of shape that it's it's it needs a redo. But yeah, um, just make a big old list of things uh, that you often do and look at timesheets. Timesheets are... We, we sell time basically yeah well ideally we sell value but um time is one way that we can measure that measure output in, a, in it's crude but no but it, it, it makes sense and i think what you just mentioned there in terms of you know the estimations need to factor in maybe a bit of refactoring as well you know in, in terms of yeah. you know the, there's general upkeep and maintenance applications that we need to bear in mind when we're making so I, I actually expect that the estimations for a longer running app that maybe has uh, some more debt in there or, or some additional complexity to, to maintaining it you know your your estimates for implementing that 10 minute feature might not be 10 minutes yeah no that's absolutely right if you if if it's part of a legacy project as well, or yeah, yeah you need to factor all that in. Um, Get you, Docker out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think you also need to factor in and make clear the ongoing costs for maintaining an application and not zero. Yeah. Um, 
even though when you automate all your infrastructure and auto scaling everything you still need to keep an eye on it mm. and maybe you come up with a rule of thumb or maybe it's 10% of initial project value per year at least mm. to keep an eye on things keep things ticking over upgrade libraries yeah um, frameworks go out of date and then yeah, with security vulnerabilities you know yeah. CVs in the wild that you've got to jump on think, things like that because you you might the client might come back with a new feature request in a couple of years and actually you've got you've got to take all the weeds out of the garden first like <laughs> there's all this stuff yeah. to do first yeah um, and they don't realize that it becomes a pain and that's one of the that's one of the benefits of that sort of I, I know retainers have have mixed reception based on you know previously maybe they were used as just a way to get recurring income but actually there's a real purpose for them which is to keep the application you know uh, up to date and maintainable yeah it's important because um when things are on fire you want to be able to go and quickly fix them yeah and and if you can't do that, then yeah, it's, it's really not a good place to be. No. Um, so yeah, keeping on top of that, upgrading the fra underlying frameworks and mm. all the rest of it, that needs to be estimated probably more towards the end of the delivery of the initial app because mm. the end you know all the third parties that you're using, the, the sort of size of the data that's been collected, yeah, yeah. things like that. Um, but yeah, as I say, it goes back to that cone of uncertainty. There's, there's no point planning out the next three years yeah. when you should really just be looking at those first few weeks and then the first few months. Mm. And then maybe you can take a bit of a higher level. And I know that makes it scary for businesses to purchase software, but software development is scary. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it is it is full of unknowns and there is ranges and risks and trade-offs and all manner of different tools and things that you can do to get things in on budget mm. on time. But it's it's terrifying and we're here to make it less terrifying <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's that's the thing though isn't it it's um you know there is there is an implicit commitment by starting a project by building an app by doing something that is going to exist for a long time so yeah. it's better to have that conversation up front to say look you know we're entering into a potentially multi-year thing here um that's not us trying to lock you into loads of costs this is just being realistic about what this is going to take to keep it keep it going yeah absolutely um and if that's an in-house team at their end they need to factor that into their hiring and yeah. all the rest of it so yeah yeah it needs to be thought about yeah a lot of the the, the engagements that i have you know we, we will bootstrap it we'll start the thing we'll we'll build the app and then we'll hand it over It'll, there'll be some you know there'll be some knowledge transfer I, I think it's really i think that provides some level of confidence you know i'm not trying to lock you into this or, or lock you into me as a service it's I, I want it to succeed and this is the shape that it could take. Yeah, absolutely. And to get to that point, you do need, I do think you do need agencies, contractors, obviously we're biased, but yeah. to get that kickstart on a new project, yeah. because we're doing it all the time yeah. and that's our main focus is get this cool, exciting thing going as yeah. quickly as possible yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And, uh, and then maintain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's Whether that's it. us or someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we need to keep sharpening our tools all the time and learning all the new tech and new ways of doing things. Yeah. And that's part of the value that we provide. Yeah, um, absolutely. So just going back into um, 
at the very start you mentioned about reducing um, or, or, or reducing risk by starting with the hardest things first. Yeah. Um, what so stepping down a level from yeah, I'm calling them epics, rightly or wrongly. Um, but you know, how do you then take that high risk item and make that workable? So how do you translate? We need to build a really scary thing into oh, actually, it's not that scary because this is what what it means. I think really rough and ready proof of concept can yeah. go a long way. And yeah, I'd treat that code as throwaway. Um, it's an example. It goes in a separate repo maybe, and it just finds the edges of things. So yeah. it, it calls the API a hundred times a minute and s sees what happens, or it, it, it does the binary diffing or whatever strange thing that is that you need to do. Yeah. Um, and then you take a step back and go, right, how would I do this ideally then? Well, what would what would this look like mm. if if this was a nice code base? <laughs> what would it, <laughs> yeah. what would the dream I've, code base be? I've done the spike. Be? I've done the hacky version. Yeah, um, not hacky, but you know, I've, I've thrown something together. Yeah, what does it need to be to be um, production ready? And then you go right, all singing, all dancing. Ideally, this would be. I'd do a risk register. We'd get an external pen testing firm in. We'd yep. do all this. It'd be amazing. We'll spend weeks on design. We'll do this, that, and the other. This, the, this is the pie in the sky, golden castle version. Yeah. And then we put ranges against that. And then you start more conversations with the client and you start adjusting that to fit budget, timescales, yep. um, priorities. Some of these priorities that come from both ends. So uh, us as, as as software engineers and designers and UX people, we'll have things that we really think need to go into phase one, yeah. as will the customer. And what you really want to do is try and get as much of that into a phase two as possible. Mm. Um, and some of those things will, although they were super, super high priority, absolutely must do, they never come back ever. <laughs> <laughs> because... After phase one, after you ship something, mm. your priorities change and they change in response to customer need, people actually using the thing mm. and feedback. And actually the idea that people had in their heads, oh, they're definitely going to want this yeah. export to Jira thing or what, I don't know what feature <laughs> it would be, but it sounds really important in the yeah. first phase and you move it and then, oh, actually, no, everybody just wants to do this instead. They mm. just want to copy and paste it into whatever. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, a feedback loop though, isn't it? It's a, it's a trust building exercise as well, because I think a lot of those initial demands, uh, I don't mean demands in a, in a negative way, but the initial asks are more them not necessarily completely trusting the initial engagement to get it right and actually yeah. once they realize you've delivered that first uh, iteration and it's, it's at a level of quality they're really happy with i think they're more likely to continue with the it's out you know it's outsourced they've got this we're good you know yeah no absolutely um i do think you can avoid a ton of simple mistakes with just simple tweaks to process like daily stand-ups you don't have to go mm. full agile although i would recommend looking at agile approaches um, but adding a daily stand-up to a project mm. means that you're avoiding you'd think were really basic things but developers working from wrong or misunderstood requirements mm. that can cause problems even if it's just a few days worth of somebody going off down a path yeah a daily chat 
will fix that. Or yeah. even just some, you know, in larger teams, them building the same thing by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's more common than, you know, <laughs> than we'd expect. But. Yeah, yeah. People go off and prototype exactly the same thing. Yeah. You've got two people using. And then you've got a cultural issue because who's his best? Oh, yeah, no. yeah. oh God, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's always an issue. Oh, yeah. You do get d- developers that have a very firm idea of how they want to implement something and yeah. someone else disagrees and you have to sort of unpick that somehow. Yeah, um, which also needs building into estimates. <laughs> yeah, it does, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and getting different disciplines speaking to each other, so getting front ends and back ends talking to each other and, and with designers when needed because yeah. um, the design of it is how it works, not just how it looks. Yeah. So getting developer input at all stages or getting design input on mm. developer trade-off decisions as well. Um, yeah. So you might look at design and come to implement it and go, that combo checkbox thing, mm. that's going to take me a bit longer than I thought. And actually there's another solution here, but what you don't want to do is it ends up looking like design by dev. Like <laughs> yeah. so it's yeah. like one of those admin interfaces that we've all seen where you're like, yeah. is underscore admin something? Like, what yeah. is this? Um, what do you mean it works? <laughs> yeah. Bug, bug resolved. Ship it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why tying, tying UX front end engineers back and all, all of it needs to be a really tight loop because, um, you know, I think having a team that really understands the specialisms, uh, you know, understands who needs to provide it or can provide the best input in, in each area is really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And you can do team things like um, planning poker and like estimation and yeah. and that will actually um, elicit the conversations needed to, to actually scope out a feature as well. If you go, this is this referral feature the dev might put up a 21 mm. and maybe someone else thinks it's the 13 and actually they've got two different features in their heads yeah and that's what fleshes that out and then that conversation happens in front of a designer and they go oh well actually i thought it was going to be this and that common understanding of the requirements are really important thing yeah well, i often think that the ticket itself is just a reference point to a conversation it's a memory because the when you write a ticket all the words are there. Mm. People can read exactly the same thing and have two completely different <laughs> understandings of it. Yeah. A shared document does not mean a shared understanding. Yeah. And it's the post-its, even like the post-its on a wall in user story mapping, they're just reference points to a memory of a conversation. Yeah. You can never fully encapsulate the understanding that you get between two people having a conversation into written word. Yeah. Uh, it's not that, possible. It's so true that that, that co-authoring is such a, a huge thing. It, it, it's all about capturing the emotion and thought at that time. It's not a shared document that someone reads. It's not the same, is it? No, because you don't, You when you speak to somebody, if they're a bit confused, you pick up on the subtle non-verbal cues yeah. or they'll ask a question and you can actually explain it to the point where everyone understands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Such a good point that. Absolutely. Um, except for sometimes you speak to people and they just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not really listening. <laughs> like, no, no. Please, please be honest. Please listen. <laughs> yeah. If you don't understand, tell me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then that becomes the ticket and you'll look at the ticket and you'll remember the conversation and you'll implement that thing. Yeah. And if you leave it too long, you'll look at the ticket and go, it's got all the detail in here, but I honestly can't remember. Yeah. And you have to have the conversation again, unfortunately. But mm. that's what you that's why it's done in sprints. That's why you you 
you have a sprint retro and you kick it off again and you look through the tickets and have another conversation if you need. Yeah. Just a quick chat. Oh, were we going to use? No, it's this. And then you yeah. quickly resolve it. Maybe put a little bit more detail on the ticket if you want. But honestly, the more documentation you produce, it's more likely to go stale. People don't read it anyway, mm, yeah. is my opinion. By all means, put put the steps as much detail as you can on the ticket. But just don't expect that to create a, an exact shared understanding of, of the problem and the solution. Yeah. yeah. That, that's why, where your project's going to go out of budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we're just about out of time for this episode. A huge thank you for listening to Offscript by Hey Radio. Do check out the other Hey content online, as well as some of the fantastic work Parallax are doing over at parallax.co.uk. Hit subscribe to get more of this content in the future and join us in a few weeks as we tackle our next topic. 